You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining me as always in Southampton, England is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Habercroft. And Jonathan, we are we are getting really, really granular with this show and it's probably a show that might interest me and only me. Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm uninterested in the topic, but it is quite a granular topic. Uh, yeah, so we're so we're going to be talking about membership uh, and how curlers become members of an, an organization, be it their national association or their curling club. And I don't think this show is necessarily just for curling administrators. The the things we're going to talk about definitely will apply to individual curlers and those who are going to start curling in the coming years. The reason that we're discussing this topic is recently at its annual annual general meeting, uh, USA Curling changed the way they're going to do memberships. And now instead of just clubs being members of USA Curling, individual curlers can now be members of USA Curling, uh, even though the clubs will still retain the voting rights. This is a big change for curling, but it will put USA Curling in line with how most sports governing bodies operate. Once this is rolled out, individuals will be able to become members of USA Curling and get their insurance directly through a website that USA Curling is going to set up. And it's very similar to like what USA Hockey does and what and a lot of uh, a lot of other national governing bodies. The clubs can still uh, charge members for being in leagues, for annual membership, and what have you. Uh, and USA Curling has signed on with a company called Sport 80, which is a customer relationship manager that many of the national governing bodies around the U.S. use. Yep. So it's going to be a new system. And uh, as with any new system, there's always questions and sometimes a bit of controversy. So that's why we decided to dig in today. Yeah, we talked to a few people about this, uh, and we have two recorded interviews that we're going to play for you. The first is with Evan Liu, and Evan is with Mid-South Curling Club in suburban Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Evan was one of the few that uh, actually voted against the, this bylaw when it was up for vote at the annual uh, annual general meeting. Uh, he's going to give us the history of his curling club, why he voted against this bylaw, and why he felt this change wasn't going to benefit a club like his, which is a small arena curling club. Uh, after Evan, you'll hear from USA Curling CEO Jeff Plush. Uh, we talked to Jeff recently about how USA Curling can grow, and part of that will be this change. He's going to discuss why the change is needed and why he believes this will add value to the individual curling clubs. So uh, let's get started, and first up is our interview with Mid-South Curling Club's Evan Liu. Right. We are joined by Evan Liu from Mid-South Curling Club, which I think is it's just outside of Memphis, right? You're, you're, you're Hub yep. City is Memphis, but you guys are kind of on the south. You guys are in Mississippi, right? Yeah, the rink is actually uh, on in Olive Branch, Mississippi, which is just across the border from mm -hmm. uh, as you go from Tennessee into Mississippi. So, 
the main big city for us is, is Memphis, but uh, we, we are physically located in the state of Mississippi. Is that the same uh, practice rink that the uh, River Kings used to, used to use? Yes, the River Kings are there. Um, I guess the, I think the Mississippi and Memphis, you know, university hockey teams use that as a practice facility too. And so uh, it, it is, in terms of ice, ice, ice rinks, it's the, the only, I guess, publicly accessible ice arena within about, say, two and a half, three hours of, of, oh, of wow. the region. Wow. Um, so first question is simple and I, I like it. I actually, I stole it from another podcast called Rabbitohs Radio that I started listening to that covers, uh, a rugby league team in Australia, but they all, their, their first question to every guest is, uh, tell us where you're from and what it was like growing up there. And I love that question because I think it kicks it off, uh, so well. So, you know, tell us where you're from and what was it like growing up there? Well, I was born and raised in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, West, West coast of Canada is, I say probably the most beautiful place in the world to live when it's not raining, but uh, <laughs> it's raining uh, seems like about two thirds of the time. So uh, you, I guess you get some of the best and some of the, I guess when it's raining, it's some of the most miserable weather you can ever, ever have. Uh, so, but uh, uh, grew up there in the city, uh, went to college there and uh, I guess you, you just pretty much like how, any kid growing up in, in a city, you, you do, you know, you, you play sports, you go out with friends uh, and kind of just uh, in, enjoy yourself. Uh, I stayed there until I graduated from university and uh, moved down to here to the Memphis area about 15 years ago. So did you start curling uh, out there in, in Vancouver? Yeah, uh, actually, my first time on the ice was uh, during a field trip uh, during high school PE class. So uh, we went to the local curling club and uh, I think spent uh, spent a week or week and a half of PE classes uh, learning how to curl and and doing all that. So, you know, who doesn't like throwing rocks at houses, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what was it about the sport that made you stay with it? I think the the level of precision of making shots where, you know, you, you, to get a rock to stop within an inch or two of where you want it to be sometimes that that is just to me was very very appealing and the you know the communication required amongst your team to make a, a good shot consistently that was uh to me just it was a lot of fun um through my university years i started playing more competitively uh in the greater vancouver area it was like every other weekend or something like that uh there'd be a bond spiel and uh, myself and, and, and the team would hit up those uh, every few weeks and uh, even played in a few overseas tournaments over the years. So you know, oh, wow. that's just, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I think curling in general, the people are really nice. So wherever you go and you meet up with some curlers, it's, it's, it's always a very, very welcoming uh, environment. So, uh, when I was in college, I actually moved to Saskatchewan for a year and uh, did an internship there. So I remember going to a, going to the rink with, with my landlord one night. Soon after that, I met up with a bunch of strangers and I was curling with them a couple times a week. So <laughs> I think today, I think, you know, the whole broom stacking aspect of, of curling and the friendships you build 
is probably more important to me to than the really the competition side of things. I think really in the mid south, our group is really a, a casual group of people who enjoy playing the game and 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 we really enjoy the social aspect of it. Like even this year with COVID, uh, with all even with all the restrictions, uh, we kind of moved our broom stacking socially distance and uh, hung out in the parking lot after after curling. So you know we tried our best to keep that aspect of, of the game going even even with COVID this year. So Evan, how did you uh, how did the Mid South Curling Club get started? Were you one of the founders, or was there already a group uh, there when you moved down there? Um. So I, I moved down to the area in 2005. Um, actually, the Mid-South Ice House opened, I think, early 2012. And they started uh, curling in April 2012. Um, when they first started, uh, curling was basically an activity that was run by the Ice House. And there's a volunteer, uh, Larry, Larry Unterberger from... I think he's from the uh, Milwaukee area. Um, so Larry and the Ice House got curling put together. And uh, actually, funny thing, I had no idea I was going to curl again until I was driving through Memphis one afternoon and had the radio on. And there was an ad saying, "Got a, there's a new new Ice House in, in the Mid-South and we're doing curling. I mean, Ryan and I both uh, kind of had experience getting the Oklahoma City Curling Club uh, going. So we know from experience that it can kind of face all kinds of different challenges. So what were some of the unique issues that uh, curlers in the Mid-South Club faced when you were getting going? And, and what did you do to kind of overcome them and keep curling going? When you're bringing a new sport to an area, if the playing conditions are are not very good, your ability to... I think convert curlers from learn learner curlers to people who really want to take it up it becomes a challenge. I think for the first few years we had challenges keeping hacks in, in the ice. So mm-hmm. you know we had four sheets of ice and we actually typically only, and we only had three sets of rocks, but we would always make four sheets of ice because it, it was it was almost like clockwork. Uh, every week uh, one of the sheets the hacks would come off in the middle of the game. So that I think. Those are the really the starting out getting the ice to a point where um, you're able to play it play play on it week in week out uh, was was a challenge. Um, I think once we got over the getting the ice right challenges uh, for a small market um, curling club like ourselves, uh, you're always struggling to get your participation up during non-Olympic years. I think. It, Every 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 four years where you have the Olympics, you have people calling and, and and you sell out your your learner curls and you book more learner curl sessions and and everyone really wants to know about curling and and for for that year your 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 participation spikes and that's kind of been been our thing is you get your Olympic year spike in how to retain the members that join during the Olympic years and, and keep things going during the, the down seasons has, has been, uh, I th- I'd say our biggest challenge, um, with, with, with it being arena ice and needing to, to, to get the ice ready really for us, I think, uh, paying for ice time is, has, has been the, the, the biggest 
challenge right now for us moving forward. Um, with our cost model, you're really looking at, you really need to have at least three sheets full whenever you get on the ice. And, you know, we, we've had times where we've, we've only had two sheets going. So as a club, in the long run, if, if you can't pay for the ice um, and being able to, you know, maintain your, your membership at a level where uh, you can afford to curl, uh, I think for us that's, that's uh, really been a challenge that we've been continuing to, to, to work towards um, overcoming for the last few years. There any creative things that you guys have done to try to bring members in or, or even keep the ones that, that you've, that you've added? What we have found is the groups that are able to build bonds outside of curling. You have, you have your other groups of people that people start coming in, in groups and, and as, as people enjoy, as you provide a, a environment where people enjoy other people's companies, uh, you know, you, you start having more, more, more people come out. So during the off seasons, uh, the group, you know, goes out to local breweries and we continue broom stacking outside of curling. And, you know, I think those things, uh, built building that, that family type, uh, of, of, of environment, I, th I think, uh, has helped us, um, maintain a, a more steady uh, group of curlers. I think early on, it, you know, for the most part, it was, you know, people come curl and then, you know, people don't see each other during the off season and all, all that kind of stuff. And uh, the ability to uh, bring people back in groups uh, was, was, was a challenge. So I think uh, as we've gone towards more more personal involvement of, of other curlers outside of curling I, I think that's helped us maintain our our numbers uh is that something that happened kind of organically or is that something that the the club leadership came together and said okay if we do this i think we'll be able to to keep more members uh, i think a bit of both uh um i i think as we got more involvement from the members and as we, over the years we've, we've had, uh, I guess it all depends on who are all your members and is, if, is that what your members want? Uh, are, are your members looking for just coming out to curl for a couple hours and going home and not seeing everybody? Or is it, is it something where they enjoy people's company and, start doing other things outside of curling. I think for us, uh, more of a grassroots friendship type growth ha has worked better than, you know, whenever we've tried any kind of mass advertising and, and those kind of things, our abilities to, to, to get curlers out to our events and, and stay at our events has, has been, hasn't been all that strong. So mm. in terms of advertising for our, our learner curls right now, we found that, you know, dropping off flyers at local breweries and, other, you know, libraries, uh, uh, rec centers, community, other community centers, uh, you know, posting on Facebook, um, word of mouth, that, that really has provided us better, I guess, better returns on, on our membership than, and, than any kind of 
what I call uh, just generic advertising per se. Uh, your club was independent from USA Curling uh, for a long time. So why did you guys initially decide to be independent? And then what led you to, to join the U.S. Uh, Curling Association? From 2012 up until 2015-16, curling was, was done as a ice house activity. So really, it was, done, it was created independent of USA Curling. When the when the curling um, events were held by the Ice House, um, the Ice House pretty much covered everything under the the umbrella of this was an Ice House activity. Uh, as we had, as we moved towards curling separately, and where where the model became, the curling club rented ice from the Ice House and operated curling as its own entity. Um, the curling club was now required to provide, you know, a certificate of, you know, and pay for uh, general liability insurance. So when that happened, we started looking around on what was the best option for us to to get get the liability insurance. And, and we basically found the most straightforward way to achieve that requirement was join USA Curling and get the insurance and pretty easy you go through that process and our insurance problems are solved so essentially i'd say if it wasn't for the need to to get the general liability insurance for for the ice house um, to continue curling uh, the mid-south probably wouldn't have became a club at that time not not knowing as the years had gone by whether or not we would afterwards or not, but at the at the time that we decided to become a club, there was really the need of us to become a club for 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 that really that purpose. So near the end of the 2016 season, we started to transition towards and start filling out the paperwork to to, to become a a club. We, I guess we unofficially became a club uh, early 2017 and officially became a USA Curling member um, during the summer of 2018, I think. Um, really, the, our, why we joined, went from independent to joining the USA Curling was, was really the, the fact that we, we needed the insurance and that was, we felt at the time, that was uh, the best option to do that. Um, our members do ask pretty frequently, you know, why, why do we have to join USA Curling? Um, as, as for the most part, uh, most, most of our members don't or haven't seen the, the value or, or the benefits of, of joining it aside from, uh, getting the insurance. You know, we've, we've had some people who've, who've gone through instruction, gone through, you know, the instructor training. Uh, which is which is nice, uh, but as a whole, the the, the main group kind of sees us. It's really more of a we're more of a say a small social group, and most most of our members aren't looking to get into this as being a, a, a competitive type deal. And so, in general, the members don't see a, a big benefit of of, of joining uh, USA Curling uh, from from my perspective on, on the curling club operating perspective, um, 
really the need of getting insurance coverage was was a requirement. So essentially, when we started out, it was really a come on, guys, we we, we need to do this or else we can't curl because the cost of mm-hmm. getting insurance otherwise is going to be more. So that's that's basically how we went from being independent to to joining USA Curl. Is there you know what were the benefits of of being independent, and then is there anything that you think USA Curling could provide your members that would that would show that benefit of being a part of of USA Curling? That that's the the part that that's kind of been a question for for myself and and our curlers is we it's it's been hard for us to determine what kind of benefits we would get get out of it. Hmm. Um, aside from the group the group insurance um it might be the fact that we're a small group and we really don't take advantage of all the things that usa curling provides but um that that is probably part of it that we were not in a position where we can really take advantage of those things so uh, when you can't take advantage of of what what is out there then really there you you, you're not able to i guess reap the rewards of any any of those benefits so i think in 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 general i I think uh that that's really where where our group has has struggled to 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 really i guess understand the I guess the the general need for for joining the 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 national association, other than the the feeling that you know you're part of this uh, the big group, you know we we, we exist, we're, we're part of you know the national association, um, so there, there's that part of it. But from a day to day operations of of curling here in the mid south, um, we, we really haven't really gain much benefits from from truly becoming um a member of usa curling so usa curling is rolling out its new membership model where instead of the the members joining the club and then the club being a part of usa curling now it's going to be more direct where the the member is now going to just go and become independent of the club a member of usa curling um, you're, you were one of the few that voted against this model at the annual general meeting. I mean, were there, what were some of the questions that you had about the model that maybe hadn't been addressed, um, when you were going into that vote? So going into that vote, um, I think we went in not having all the, I guess not all the questions were answered on how, when going into this model, how are clubs going to manage this question of, of, of membership? Um, because really going back to why we joined USA Curling was really the the insurance question. Mm -hmm. And throughout the years, we had a $400 fee that, uh, we had to pay the base fee for, for the, for the insurance. And under the new model, it was unclear to the club how is the club going to, if, if the club is no longer collecting the membership fees um, and the fees for the insurance and, and all that, um, how is the club going to come up with this $400 for, for the insurance? 
Mm-hmm. And for for our club, you know, for a small club who doesn't have a lot of money in the bank, um, four hundred dollars, yeah, it, it, it is really a, a a major hit to to the the to the club's operating budget. So with that unanswered, uh, I think for the most part, whenever anyone brings you a uh, a proposed change and there's no solutions to your problems uh status quo is always seems to be better than what's coming new because the whole question for us was with this new model if we're still expected to pay this 400 dollars to get our insurance um how are we going to do that mm-hmm. uh since since the vote you know we've had that clarified uh, for us, um, where that 400 minimum is now going to get waived. Okay. So to me now, after the fact, if this $400 is going to be waived and, and really you only have to pay the individual insurance fee for individual curlers to us, that is, that is, that is a solution to that problem. So really for me on our end, Going into into that vote, you know, even though our votes don't don't really count, um, our, our position on that was um, how 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 are we going to pay this four hundred dollar fee mm-hmm. if there's no clear path to what are the rules? So I think now after the fact that that's been clarified, um, I, I'd I'd say overall my my thoughts on it, it may not be as bad as, 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 as initially played out. Um, I still think there's going to be some issues in terms of your membership fee structure. Um, at the mid South, we basically have a membership fee structure where, um, returning curlers pay one membership fee. Um, first year curlers pay a discounted, uh, membership fee. Uh, the question now becomes if you are a member um, who is paying independently to USA Curling, um, do we need to track another set of membership fees? Mm-hmm. Um, so as a small club, um, you know, these small clerical things may may seem to be pretty small, but if you're looking at it, you know, we're a small club. Everyone who does you know, help put curling together. You know, we do it all on a volunteer basis. Um, for the most part, everyone's got day jobs and, and really putting on this additional item for people to keep, keep up with. Um, it's just, I think it's not something that we can't overcome, but, um, I think it's just, it just puts on more to, to, to the club to try and keep track of, well, who's paid USA curling directly who do we still need to collect money from? And, and, and each year, you know, collecting fees from, from curlers uh, already as is is, <laughs> is, 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 is already a challenge in itself. So I think this ultimately this just throws another, you know, another curveball into the whole, whole situation, but I don't, it's not something that I don't think we, we, I don't think it's something we can't overcome, but uh, it's just something added. So I think really with the insurance question resolved, um, I, I think the side, our, our, I guess our, our negative thoughts uh, towards this is it's really on that side. 
okay, I got, I, I have a solution to my $400 problem now. So, you know, that's where it's really not that bad now. So, um, I, I think, uh, the, you know, the, looking into it, you know, some of the suggestions made by USA curling was, well, maybe we need to, uh, get a service to help us or some software to help us, you know, keep track of our membership and all that kind of stuff. But as a small club, you're not going to pay 500 bucks to, to solve a $50 problem. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when, when, when that's the case, you're really not going to be really, you're not, you, you can't afford to do those kind of things. So, I think sometimes when it's really when you when you have when you end up having to add extra steps to what you're doing, you know, I think you just have to take 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 what's coming to you, I guess. So, yeah, I know I know from experience when I was president of the Oklahoma Curling Club, the biggest problem was payment, and this was this is a decade ago. So before things like Square or relatively affordable, like online or card payment systems have come along, right? So we have to go collect checks and, you know, 80% of the membership's great, but it's that 20% who forget, or maybe, you know, say they forget and <laughs> yeah. want to pay that you're always yeah. chasing after that can be, that can be difficult. And I remember looking at the time for payment options and it, for something that's arena club scale, right? If you've got 50, 60 members, there's not, there, there wasn't really at least a really good option out there at that point in time. Well, what we've done right now is what we've done over the last few years is we've, we've tied in membership to your first league payment. So if you're playing every time you sign up for your first league for the season, your membership fee is collected at that same time. So it's, it's all clumped into one, one number. So if someone is joining the league, they're they're basically paying for the league and membership at the same time. I think Would it help? Cha- if, go ahead. Sorry. The challenge for us will be now that we'll we'll have to decipher if people decide to pay through the national national system, uh, how to make sure that that's separated. But I think I was also it was also brought to my attention that the clubs can still operate um as they have been so I, I think unless the membership really decides to all start signing up through the, the the national system um we might still be able to just continue operating as we are and you may have one or two people sign up separately but i think personally for our club I don't see a large portion of our, our members. If the option was the club still collects fees the same way, I, I think um, I think for the short time, um, we, we sh- will probably still be able to manage through that. Would it help if USA Curling made this, this Sport 80 platform a platform that you guys could use to track your membership fees and track collecting membership fees from, from the Mid-South folks? I think that would definitely, definitely help. Um, if there was some sort of online interface where, um, when, when we're trying to square up who's, who's where and what status at any given time, I, I think that would definitely help, uh, the, the clubs determine, you know, X person has so much due to the club and so much because they have paid X amount to, 
USA curling and so on and so forth. So I, th- I, th- I think something that can help the clubs identify those things easier um, would definitely be, be a plus. Overall, do you think USA Curling gives enough consideration to smaller arena clubs when it makes its decisions? I would say probably not, but I, I think they are a national organization. And uh, just like everything else, uh, numbers count. So when you're, when you're the small fish in the ocean, uh, you kind of just take it as it comes um, whether or not you, you, you agree or like everything but uh, I, th- I think that's really the the situation we're in I, I think maybe maybe the communication part of it can be better I think our at least my initial thoughts on on, on our negative vote was really the question of going back to the whole insurance thing if that was laid out beforehand, personally, I don't think I would have voted no for, mm. no on that. Because really, mm. we, we think about it as more of a operationally, how are we going to do things? And 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 for, for, for us, the question really just came up to, we got this $400 minimum that we got to pay every year. How, how are we going to ensure that we're going to be able to collect that $400? And... Uh, and, and I, I think from a USA curling perspective, $400 is probably not something they think is a problem. But for a small arena club, $400 is, is something that uh, that is a big part of your operational budget. So really, was that no vote more of just telling USA curling, look, you have to communicate more things and communicate them better before we actually have these big official votes that could make huge changes to the way we do business. I, I I'd say so. Cause I, I think the, the, we, I have another open question that's been going out to, to USA curls membership. So as, as you know, in the mid South, we curl from March to September and the way everything has worked out is we don't collect our membership dues until we start curling for the year. And curling dues are due at the beginning of each year. So ever since we've been a member, we've always been been late. Mm-hmm. So even though we voted this time around, our votes really didn't matter because per the, per the bylaws, Mid-South Curling Club has always been... I guess uh, back or out of date or late mm-hmm. on, on 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 their standing and 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 ultimately not in good voting standing. I guess that's that's the definition of it. I guess ultimately we we, we we've never really cared about voting, but really this time around with with the uh, with the the meeting being online, well, you know. We took part of it. I, I, th- I think if the meeting was in the normal in-person type of meeting, you probably would not have heard from us. <laughs> what is the uh, other question that you haven't heard back from? Well, my question is clubs that don't operate in the normal USA curling calendar. Mm-hmm. 
who don't pay their dues or like us, we're, we're, we're paying our dues three months late every year or sometimes mm-hmm. even later. Uh, ultimately, we will never have good standing in our hmm. membership. So in my mind, what's the, you know, how, how do we get across that? Um, the question was, well, you can, you can collect the fees and pay us later. Well, right now with our schedule, uh, ultimately, unless we ask our curlers to pay the fees again, we're, we're always yeah. off half a year. So really not sure how that's going to work out. <laughs> but with the COVID year, may, maybe yeah. this COVID year of us not having to pay membership fees if we're not curling may help us reset that. Yeah. Yeah, or you could just be another six months late. And late, just pay yeah, and just, yeah, and, and, exactly. So that that part, yeah. So that part has always has been the issue for us because kind of going back to everything, you have the club has has to pay its yeah. dues. Uh, a club in good standing is how you get your insurance. So mm-hmm. going back to it, going back to why that Mid South is truly joined USA curling is to ensure that we get our liability insurance. And that, that, that is really the basis of how, how we joined USA curling. And I, I think if our, if there was never that requirement from our, our arena that the curling club needed to have its own liability insurance, um, I'd say that the mid South curling club probably would probably wouldn't wouldn't be a member of usa curling when you send them their your next check tell them it's for 2022 yeah (laughs) do you so what just um what are you part of one of the regional associations are you mid-america or grand national or or uh, at large so you're just at large okay so yeah we're, we're, we're not we're not part of any region and do you, you guys put a team into the arena nationals, or that's not something you're you're interested in doing, or that right now with our membership, that's not something that uh, we're we've had any interest in our from our membership to that. That's kind of going back to, do we see any benefits currently of joining? Uh, I think until we have enough club members who really want to start curling competitively, um, there's really no no benefit of that. You know, uh, I know there's several of our members who, who are getting pretty good and, and they've talked about wanting to do that. But um, I, I think until we truly form a team together and actually take part in those events, you know, our members have at times, we, we've had members go to Kansas City, uh, St. Mm-hmm. Louis, uh, Rocket City for, for bond spiels. Um, so that's something that some of our members have done, but as a, as a whole, and, and really going to uh, a, a really more competitive environment, uh, our, our curlers currently um, have have not shown that that big of an interest in in doing such activity. So I think to date, um, the advantages of, of of those competitions opening up to to the club um, as of right now, we haven't haven't really had the opportunity to take advantage of any of that. 
I guess just to kind of wrap up, like what positives do you hope will come out of the switch to this new membership model? And like, what, what would you say is the best case scenario for your club after this change happens? Uh, I really have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from, you know, from my understanding, even under the new model, we can still operate as we have been. Um, I, I, I think assuming there's no confusion amongst our members on how that's going to work out. Um, I think if we have members who are going to start paying directly, we'll have to start, you know, breaking up our fee structure a little bit different. Um, but, uh, I keep going back to it now that that $400 question has been solved. Uh, I really, really don't have don't have any, I guess, positives or negatives to speak of. So is the $400 completely waived or is it, you know, is there still a minimum membership that you have to pay to make the club a member of USA Curling? No, it is at, what my understanding is it is waived and each member pays $6. Okay. I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Yeah. So, so actually, after all is said and done, this is actually going to be a good thing for the Mid South. That's good because um, at six six dollars six dollars a head, you know. Yeah, that works out better for your members, right? It works out better for our mem- or good. works out better for our membership in that you know before if you're if you really look at it, we're we're running anywhere between twenty and forty curlers. Mm-hmm. So at at a four hundred dollar minimum, if you had twenty curlers, you got twenty curlers paying four hundred bucks. Yep. Now that it's a per head count, if we only had twenty or thirty curlers, you know, we're we're only paying six bucks a head. So I, I think this were actually all in all does work out a little better for us the way the new insurance is gonna lay out. That's good. Um so I think well, if all that was put in front of us ahead of time, you know, we, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Funny thing, you know, our, 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 the, the, the negative vote was really based on, so how am I going to pay for this $400? <laughs> that was your way of saying per my last email. <laughs> oh man. Well, Evan, thank you so much for joining us to, to tell us about, about your club. I do have one suggestion for you guys. Um, if you could run a bond spiel the week after the Kansas City one, and I could just do a full week of eating barbecue and curling in that region of the U.S., uh, that would be like my dream. <laughs> That's been something we've been talking about amongst the group um, uh, in terms of setting up something like that. But uh, I think definitely there, there are challenges in organizing mm-hmm such events and oh, yeah. uh and uh it, it is on our radar to do something like that but uh it's it's definitely getting getting enough people involved and getting it organized and all that kind of stuff is it's it's definitely it's one of the dreams that we do have down here but uh we just haven't had the the uh, i think there's the dream and then you start talking about mm-hmm. it and then you, you lay out what is the realistic things that you know, realistically what things have to happen before you can do this. 
and we, we, we we're, we're still on the side of it. it is a dream and and we there's still some hurdles we need to need to overcome before we get there well keep me updated because i would love nothing more than to uh than to throw some rocks and eat central barbecue and uh basically every other rib place that you guys have there so uh please please keep us updated on if it happens there's been a little bit of, I guess, confusion about what's going on with this new membership system. So I'm wondering if you could just explain what the new model is and uh, why USA Curling decided to change to a new system. I wouldn't even call it a new membership model. It's a model that allows for an individual to be a member, which as, as anyone should know, it seems like a pretty um, foundational thing for any governing body, any sport who's looking to grow and looking for ways to kind of augment their offering to different people would want that, right? So it's, it's, um, it should be the least controversial thing we've ever done. Um, and, and now someone who maybe just loves the sport but doesn't, doesn't have the time or doesn't live in proximity to a club can still be a member of USA Curling. It's that simple. So, Jonathan, you can join from, from England. It'd be fantastic. Um, and and as, as we get fully built out in a robust digital platform, streaming content, it'll be all those sorts of things. Um, and, and so um, from a purely content deployment strategy, it'll be fantastic. And we'll be able to tap into a pretty significant audience of people who aren't members of clubs but just love the sport. Um, as far as the day-to-day operations of a club, nothing will change. Um, and it, people are throwing around the, the sport 80 moniker. It's just, that's a, it's just a white label software platform. So it's, it's, um, it, I think there is, there's been confusion out there. There doesn't need to be at the end of the day, clubs will operate as they've operated. We will work with them very closely to make sure they get onboarded into a new software platform that allows for database management. It's all it is. Um, it's no different than things we all deal with every single day. Um, and so it should be really seamless, frankly, and, and we're excited for it. And, and really, as we look to kind of these next 13 months, which is crazy as, as we talk about how time flies, you know, Beijing being, you know, coming up on us pretty quickly here, we're excited to continue to, to grow the sport at the end of the day. Um, and as you know, Jonathan, from having been on the board, um, I think we have a tremendous opportunity and, and the sport kind of traditionally has grown, um, in those Olympic cycles, um, I think we have an opportunity to grow every year, not just every four. Um, but, but I think we're going to take advantage of this post-pandemic year. I say post, you know, we're still got work to do. But um, over the next 18, 24 months, I'm excited for our growth opportunities. Jeff, I've, I've only been curling 10 years, so I've only been around curling clubs for for 10 years. But I learned very quickly that the things that in my mind, I thought this should be the least controversial thing in the world was always the one that led to like the longest, most ridiculous discussions among board members. (laughs) Yeah, look, I I think um, certainly learned in my now, gosh, what is it, 10 months um, that there are there are certain, you know, things people are resistant to change. I think change is hard. And um, change is hard for anyone, but we can't we can't operate like we're in the 1950s. We just we won't operate that way. We're gonna we're gonna innovate. We're gonna be progressive. We're gonna look to grow. It's just simple things. Some of it's just business metrics, right? We we have to estimate certain things. But as a, as a for instance, we estimate that we have 60 to 70 thousand mm-hmm. curlers 
who participate at our clubs during the course of the year. And we convert that into 600 new members per year on a non-Olympic year basis. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that's a really, really low percentage and we should do a heck of a lot better than that. So how do we use technology and innovation and forward thinking to help us? That's all. Um, and that will help clubs, right? Help clubs drive new membership, help arena clubs move into dedicated space when they're ready, right? when they have enough members to do so, not just because they want more ice. Um, and so we're just trying to be thoughtful and create best practices and share information in a way that can allow us to be more successful. Um, some really foundational things, which we're excited about. Yeah, I, I agree with you that there are a lot of aspects that this of this sport that kind of need to be dragged into modern times. And the, the membership model is, is probably one of them. And I'm, I'm sorry for using the term membership model, but it's kind of what's been stuck in my head. But I was looking through a lot of the other national governing bodies and a lot of them, um, you know, ha- have a variety of options for both participants and non-participants. Um, USA Archeries was really good. USA Climbing's was really good. Is there a NGB out there that maybe you're going to kind of model this new this new format after? Well, look, yeah, we've 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 talked to all of them. I think the great um, one of the huge values that we get out of our relationship with the U.S. Olympic Committee is access to all my peers who run all the NGBs and, you know, monthly phone calls and all these things. So we've talked to many of them. Um, I'm close with people that run USA Swimming and USA Hockey. Um, we've, we spent a lot of time on the phone with hockey, as you can imagine, early on in February and March, really around the pandemic and around ICE, around the arenas and their that what they were doing as a lot of our member arena clubs are in, in hockey facilities. Um, and just born out of those dialogues, we really started to gravitate to some of the things that hockey has done. Um, but I think, look, it's, it's all, it's all organic. Also, I think the reality is, is you start to evolve and, and create opportunities for new people to come into your ecosystem and you're always looking to improve. Um, and you're always taking on points of view and different data sets to make sure you're, you're getting better all the time. I think, I think one of the things, not just curling, but, but lots of, Lots of nonprofits get get locked into a way of thinking that isn't as as progressive and as business oriented as it needs to be. I think that's our responsibility is to to operate in a really efficient way, to create as much um, opportunity to monetize the sport so we can deploy those resources back into the sport. You know, that's what's most important is, is creating more opportunities for for young people, more opportunities for coaches or ice techs, um, all the things that we need for the sport to prosper long term. So what do you think the biggest change is going to be at the club level? So if I'm, say, either the club manager or the person in charge of running membership and insurance, what's the what's the biggest benefit the club's going to see and what's the biggest change the club's going to have to grapple with? Look, I think the biggest benefit is clearly having, having someone um, who can help be a resource in driving more membership. I think as we, as we start to develop better information – um, on how we, how, which clubs are doing better with learn to curls, what their strike rate for lack of a better saying it is. Um, I think sharing that information across all of our member clubs is hugely valuable. And then the reality is I, you know, we've got, for instance, we, we have 4 million people who watched one of the uh, mixed doubles games in Pyeongchang. It doesn't, you know, of that, any number of those people might end up becoming into our club, uh, into our membership system, and we can point them to which clubs are in their geography. I think being able to just use data to help us 
uh, create almost, you know, new fresh leads for people to figure out people who love the sport who maybe haven't figured out how easy it is to come and, and do a learn to curl event. So just looking for ways to, to take the 23, 24,000 members and have that be a quarter million one of these days. And that's going to take time. Um, but I think that's where our sport really grows and strengthens is when we have 200 clubs becomes 400 clubs. Um, so those are some of the ideas as far as growth, as far as the, the actual change and you know, we've been very, understanding and accommodating to clubs if, if clubs want to operate the way they've operated we can still exchange excel spreadsheets you know which is the way it's been done um but the reality is the the crm platform will allow the individual member to go in and, and update their profile themselves right they don't have to have a club administrator doing all that work um which when you're 50 members is one thing. When you're a thousand, that's a, a tremendous amount of effort that will take all of that burden off of them and, and deploy it and let the individual member control it. You, you talked about data and that's really what piqued my interest. Cause like in my day-to-day life, I live in our CRM, which really, yeah, sport 80 is basically a, a, a CRM, but like day-to-day I live in our CRM and all I do is analyze data. So like when I saw that we were doing that USA curling was, was making this change, that was the thing that really piqued my interest was the opportunity to have all of this data on all the curlers in the U.S., where they came from, where they live, maybe even how they found clubs. Is that data that is going to be shared across um, across clubs, or is that something that USA Curling is just going to kind of keep to help, um, you know, to help inform your marketing decisions? Well, yeah, I think there's there's opportunity to share. We wouldn't share it uh, as of today, in part because we'd have to have everyone opt in. So I don't want to mm-hmm. anyone to think that it's a big exercise and is trying to to mine information that that is other people's information. It's just we don't even know the simplest things, just demographic stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think we need to inform ourselves better. I think we need to make sure, you know, I think anyone anecdotally knows that our sport probably skews a little bit older. I think getting younger is, is beneficial to us. I think having um, deeper youth programming is smart as far as a pipeline of athletes coming through our system. So just informing ourselves. I, I think any, any business these days has to use analytics to get better. Um, and whether that's getting better, on the ice or off. And so um, I think just having a, a, a pathway to getting that information is the first step of the process. I think the the most important thing for for the people who run the clubs, I think is always going to be in insurance. So for when, when this new membership platform gets rolled out, and I understand that there's a, there's what a couple clubs that are going to be kind of beta testing it before it gets real offered to everybody. Is that right? Yeah, it's really more, I guess, the better way of saying there's a pilot. We're, okay. we've already started that. We've probably done, oh gosh, six to 10, I guess, clubs have already um, been involved. And so then we'll continue that into the new year. So if um, if a member of a club is looking to get their insurance, are they just going to go through USA Curling and pay what I guess right now is what, $6 for, for their annual insurance? Is that becoming, is that them becoming quote unquote, a member of USA Curling? Yeah. Look, obviously 2021 is a, is a, um, an anomaly, hopefully of a Mm -hmm. year. Um, and we have so many clubs who either aren't open yet or aren't going to open at all. And so it gives mm-hmm. actually, a, frankly, a 
12 month betting in time frame to get everyone on board. But yeah, eventually you're just going to go to, to my curling.com and, and register for your club. And with that will be your insurance and you'll, that insurance will be portable. And so if you're a member of a club in Virginia and you want to go participate in the bond spiel anywhere you're in the United States you're covered. If frankly, if your club isn't open, so you wouldn't typically have paid, you, you'd still be covered. So I think it allows for the portability of the insurance across state lines, which have value um, and just lets you choose to when you want to be a member, right? I think instead of having kind of this artificial time frame of people starting in October and ending in May, it's an annual membership. Um, so you join when you can, either when you can health-wise or, or economics or desire, whatever it might be. Um, and I know insurance is, I know that recently, you know, that the cost for insurance through USA Curling recently dropped from $12 to $6. Um, and I know insurance is just impossible to forecast, especially in the middle of a pandemic, but uh, is the plan to continue to offer it for close to $6 or $6 for the foreseeable future? Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Obviously, yeah, things you know, there's always going to be things that are outside of anyone's control relative to insurance, but but we feel very good about where we are today, and that that you know, look on balance, our clubs do a fantastic job, and our members do a great job. The sport is relatively low risk. Um, you know, but you 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 still have risk though, and you still, from a national governing responsibility, it's our job to make sure that we mitigate risk, and so this does that. Um, and we're excited about being able to lower that pricing and. And um, feel good about where we're going long term, obviously, with with our carriers and, and just safeguarding the sport, which is our my primary responsibility. Will uh, will the clubs be able to use the the basically the CRM platform to collect the dues for their individual clubs? Because talking to some of the smaller clubs, you know, here in Virginia, in Memphis, um, one of the things, you know, they're, they're small enough that they're not really going to be taking advantage of the lot of, a lot of the, the benefits that come with being a member club through the USCA. Um, but I, they think that having the opportunity to utilize a platform like this to take off some administrative burden, um, is a benefit that, that, that would make them more likely to stay with, with the USCA. So are the clubs going to be able to use sport 80 to collect their own dues? Yeah, look, there's, there's um, the functionality is there, right? So I think as you can appreciate the, one of the I guess benefits of running a national organization, but also one of the challenges is that we've got clubs across the entire country, all with different sizes, different histories, mm-hmm mentalities around around these things so we have lots of clubs that do want to do just that and some that just want to send us a check like they always have mm-hmm. um, and that's fine right i think i think what we're trying to do is create a platform that allows for a lot of different ways to use it and then um and then really nurture it over time and i think it'll be you might have a club that chooses to engage in one way on on the first year and three years from now, they realize that there's so much more they can do with the platform. So that'll that'll be evolving. And at the end of the day, you know, you're kind of putting a bow on this a little bit. I view us as a customer service organization. Um, that's our job. And so it's our job to, to create the best possible platform for clubs to be successful, for curlers to have a great experience, for states and regions to, to play down all the things, to have great events, and ultimately on the competitive side, to compete for podiums. And so all of those things should be um, intertwined and everyone should want the same thing. Our goal should all be the same to help the sport grow and prosper. 
So what's what's membership going to look like going forward? So you said that I could, in theory, become a member uh, again, since even though I don't live in the country, that's obviously not possible now. Yeah, um, it is, Jonathan. We can take your information right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but I mean, it's I guess it's so. What what happens now in terms of so it means that a person can be a so there's there's a more direct relationship, I guess, between the members and USA Curling. Is that the thinking? And then how does that affect the relationship between an individual and their club? Yeah, look, it, it should do nothing but augment their relationship with their club. Obviously, at the end of the day, if a if a member like you know, Janet is at Wabatosa, that's her club. That's where she engages in the sport and creates her friends and relationships. And that's fantastic. That always should be the case. Um but also that they should view that there's an opportunity to engage with the national organization, whether that's with content or with, with things that we're doing uh, for underprivileged kids or whatever it might be ways to, to support the organization in some of the macro things that we're working on nationally. Um, so the, the relationship shouldn't would only get better, not worse. Um, so we're excited to, to add that value. And then for the people that don't have a relationship with a club at all, I think it's a way to get them into the family, get them under the tent and then, and see how they can grow. It's as you guys know, you've been around the sport a long time. We need to grow membership on the ice. We need to grow our pipelines of coaches and, and umpires and and ice technicians and all these areas where you know crucial members of the of the global curling family that that we can always use more support. And so um, I, I think just getting people who who have a passion for the sport more engaged is nothing but positive. I guess the last question I have is obviously switching anytime you switch systems, um, there's, there's going to be pain points. And like I talked to someone from USA climbing and they said that while they love the sport 80 system, it was a challenge for, you know, the older generation, because there are, there are some parts of it that maybe aren't as intuitive. Do you have like a game plan on how to address pain points that you can kind of see popping up? Well, I think that's why we're literally going to onboard every single club. Right. Individually. Right. So we, we will talk to every club administrator in the country over the next handful of weeks and months. Um, and as things come up, we fix it. Um, I think that's, you know, we're the beneficiary of other of other NGBs already going through this process. Mm-hmm. Four day guys have refined things and and it's always you know, you're always looking to make things better. And so you, you you learn from people and you, you look to make adjustments where needed. Um, and at the end of the day, as we've told all of our member clubs already, if if someone just prefers to to send a check in, and we'll take that too, right? Whatever works for the individual member in the individual club, um, but we're pretty confident that as as people um, spend time in the system, they'll see the value and they see it's really you know it's really pretty darn easy. I think it's USA Archery has a series of instructional videos on using the system that I, that were that were really good that I that I saw. So yeah, um, look, we looked at that, and obviously that's you know hopefully that'll be in Jenna's wheelhouse to, <laughs> to do some things. It'll be both both fun and and um, using video as a as a tool and just interactive. It'll it'll be there's lots of things we've got planned over the next um, gosh call it six months where we really take the time to get everyone on board the right way. But um, look, it's, it's, there's no question that anytime you add a little piece of technology into something, people maybe want to assume this could be harder than it actually is. I'm by no means a tech wizard. Um, and this is pretty, pretty simple stuff. 
So, Jonathan, judging by what Evan said during our interview with him, it sounds like a lot of the issues he had with the proposed with the proposed changes to the way USA Curling does membership came down to communication. Uh, I'm going to give USA Curling the benefit of the doubt here and assume that this wasn't on purpose. Um, how much do you think the pandemic contributed to uh, what was at least one, at least what one side perceived to be a lack of communication on this issue? Uh, I don't think it's just the pandemic. I think it was, it's like a longstanding issue um, with USA curling. And I think quite frankly, it's just given the geography of curling in America, um, the, the ranks are really spread out, right? Like US is a very big country and outside of a few pockets like the upper Midwest and kind of the Northeast, um, there's really not many places in the U.S. where there's lots of curling clubs kind of near each other. And I think that leads to a lot of isolation and not not necessarily great communication. If you compare it to, say, Canada, right? Like every major city in Canada has like a dozen to two dozen curling rinks in it. So there's a lot more uh, like density, hence better flow of communication, whereas here it really does rely on um you know, the emails received and the conference calls and the meetings that people attend that reps go to. So I think that's the the primary difference there. Uh, the good news is it sounds like most of Evan's questions have been answered. Uh, even the one he had for us about how they can be in compliance was kind of referenced by Jeff when he said they probably aren't looking at a traditional calendar anymore when it comes to membership. Um, my opinion is that if USA Curling is able to address the pain points that are definitely going to come up anytime you change your CRM, uh, that this is going to be something that will both take away some administrative burden from the clubs, as well as empower them with some data that they may not have had access to in the past. Uh, Jonathan, your opinion is probably going to be more informed than mine. You've, you've been the president of a curling club. You've been on the USCA board. You've had a chance to speak to both a club administrator who was skeptical about this move and the USA Curling CEO. Uh, so I'll kind of put your feet to the fire here. Do you think this is a good move for USA Curling? Uh, for the organization, definitely. Right. I think that a just the savings on insurance alone is kind of worth it. Um, like when we were when we were an arena club, one of our big challenges we needed insurance. Like I can't. I can't stress that enough that first of all, if you're a member of a volunteer club and someone slips and falls and injures themselves, um, as, as the ice hockey rink owner said to me when we were getting things set up, it's all liable. And if someone wants to drop a lawsuit, they're suing everybody. So just from kind of like self-interest, you need to have some kind of insurance for the, for the, for the board members, for the people who kind of are volunteering for, uh, to protect people who get injured. Um, and also kind of all the equipment that your club owns, even if you're just an arena rink, like the stones alone were probably thirty, forty thousand $40,000 of, of capital right there. So if anything happens to the rink, um, I remember we had a few times where tornadoes got perilously close to the rink in Oklahoma. So, and I'd, I'd be a little bit afraid every time that happened. So um, you do need insurance. So that in of itself is kind of a pretty good thing. And then, um, I think that for USA Curling, obviously getting a better system for tracking membership data and kind of being able to see the kinds of people that show up at curling clubs, the kinds of people that are members, the kinds of people that participate in Learn to Curls, all of that's very good information that can hopefully over time be used to kind of lead to greater 
um, recruitment for curling clubs, better retention policies, and all the other things that that clubs need in order to grow. Because quite often we were just flying blind when we were organizing the curling club. It was you know kind of grassroots um, recruitment through social media an email listserv, which is all fine and good. But if you have kind of more professional tools, you can do a better job. Uh, Jeff kind of mentioned this. Are you going to become an individual member of USA Curling? If they have a streaming package, then sure. I think I think that that's the flip side of it, right? Is, you know, um, <laughs> lots of people send me emails or letters every day asking for my money. But, you know, the flip side is, even though I have obvious loyalty to USA Curling, given my previous ties, like the like, what's the value proposition for someone who lives in in England, right? Um, but if, as he was kind of hinting a bit, and has been hinting in the interview we did last week, that USA Curling is looking at perhaps creating a streaming platform through its membership thing, and one of the things that members get is access to streaming of events or kind of catalog of games or something, then I think that might create kind of value where people who perhaps aren't regular curlers in the U S or, or abroad may want to still join at kind of a reasonable rate just for, for access to something like that. Then yeah. Uh, I did while we were researching this, I saw other NGBs also offer what they call supporter memberships and the supporters, you know, they get a newsletter, uh, they get discounts with various companies that are partners with that NGB, uh, USA climbing has one, uh, which they charge, uh, $35 per year for is one example. Uh, I also want to touch on Sport 80, which is the company that USA Curling is partnering with, uh, with as the system to manage all this. This is something that, again, probably interests me and only me because I spend every day from nine to five uh, deep in my company, CRM, looking at data and running reports. So this is right up my alley. Uh, I reached out to a bunch of folks about this system because it's used by organizations all over the world. Not all the feedback that I got was good. Uh, the folks at Gilbert Archery in Arizona didn't like the system because they said it wasn't uh, intuitive. Specifically, they said, you know, when you go to renew your membership, you don't actually click on renew. You click something else completely to, to renew your annual membership. Um, I also spoke with Charlie Strebel, who's in charge of membership at USA Climbing. She said that all of um, every system she's ever used has had their challenges, but she really does recommend Sport 80. She said the main challenge for USA Climbing was onboarding, particularly with the older generations, because the system wasn't as intuitive if you're not tech savvy. However, she said it was great for administrators, especially when you're keeping tabs on documentation for coaches and instructors, making sure they have all their paperwork in and their sport, uh, safe sport training is in line. Um, she was also very complimentary of Sport 80's customer service team. Uh, I talked to the people with the Camden Capybaras Lacrosse Club in London, England. Uh, go Capybaras. Uh, they were fans of the system for membership for their club and said one of the bonuses uh, was it puts everything uh, in one place and allows you to actually have your membership card on your phone, which I assume helps when you're registering for competitions. Um, but as I mentioned, when uh, we were talking to Jeff Plush, I really got geeked out over the idea of getting that demographic information that can help inform uh, curling clubs on, say, you know, are there festivals around town that I'm not getting a marketing table at that I should be? Um, and how should I be tar targeting my digital ads? Like that information that, we're get, that we get from who 
the re- who who you know is are there potential members of our curling club that I'm not thinking of that the data can tell me I should be going after that I might be able to convert them into members of the curling club. Um, it would be better information, and information is power, especially when you're a curling club with very limited marketing budget. Yeah, and I think using tools is is key, right? So. Like going back to the Oklahoma Curling Club, when we started, we kind of first got organized late 2008 and we were using a pretty uh, new platform called Facebook back then, <laughs> which actually back then was surprisingly effective. I, I think just the, the ways Facebook's kind of shifted how, his, how its algorithm works and how things show up. Like back then for free, we could kind of get people pushing out calls for meetings and announcing our, our early Learn to Curl events and kind of creating a an early group on Facebook for curling um, was actually surprisingly effective. Like we were, you know, when we, when we finally were able to launch in uh, Feb 2010, like we basically went from zero to a hundred members right away. Uh, kind of obviously using that Olympic boost to do that, but also using some, some kind of pretty basic free tools available at the time. But if USA Curling's getting behind kind of a paid platform with a lot more bells and whistles, and that can then be used to help support, uh, recruiting for curling, I think that'll that'll be more more effective in the long term. Yeah, we lucked out at Oklahoma Curling Club in '09 and 2010. That was basically right before Facebook really went all in on pay for play. If you were if you were running a company Facebook page, so got lucky there that we were able to to maybe uh, take advantage of the early days of the old uh, Facebook algorithm. So yeah, this is all really interesting stuff. Uh, we're, we're So yeah, we're also interested in hearing what you have to say about these changes from USA Curling. Uh, please reach out to us. Uh, you can hit us up uh, by email at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Rocks Across the Pond. And you can find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. Uh, if there's someone else in the curling world that you think would find this show interesting, like if they're a club administrator, please, um, you know, please send them the link to this show. Uh, but we want to hear, we want to hear from everybody about what they think about these changes. So we look forward to hearing from you and we look forward to talking to you again real soon.